Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will empower and inspire you. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1. Are you there? Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Sheena and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So they used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. Then the Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Verse seven, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over the whole earth and they stopped building the city. And that is why it is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. In verse three, our text says, they said to each other, come, let us. In verse four, then they said, come, let us. In verse seven, God's having a conversation amongst the Trinity and He said, come, let us. Could you say those three words with me tonight? If you're ready, yell them out nice and loud. Say, come, let us. Do it again. Come, let us. Say it like you mean it. Come, let us. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. And to be honest with you, this passage has meant a lot for us in our journey as a church. As God has taken us from being just a little group of people to now seven physical locations across the, the nation of New Zealand and with a great dream in our heart that we feel we're only just getting started on seeing God outwork that dream. As we've returned time and time again to this passage and we're in second installment this evening of a series entitled Life Before Babel as we consider again this amazing passage where God describes what life was like before Babel where a people shared a commonality of language and a commonality of mission and how God made a commentary about those people. And He said that if there's one people speaking the same language, they have got started doing this, that I can't see anything that they can't do if they put their mind and their heart to it. And I want you to know that the people in this room this evening are in no way different from the people that existed back then. You've got the same breath in your lungs, the same DNA in your body, the same God available to each and every one of us. And God made an observation and He said about these people, nothing is impossible for them. Many years ago, I read this passage and was struck by the fact that both in verse three and in verse four, we've got a group of people speaking in verse seven, we've got God speaking. Two, two groups using the very same phrase. In verse three, we've got people saying to one another, three words, say them with me, come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. In verse four, they said again, say it, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Then once more, now this time it's God. And He said, 
Come, let us go down and confuse their languages. Two groups of people, both using the same phrase. And what's amazing is that in the first group, God Himself makes an observation about them. They are saying to one another, come, let us, come, let us. And God said of them that nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Then in verse seven, we've got God speaking. And is there anybody out there who agrees with me tonight that there is nothing too hard for the Lord? That God can do whatever He wants. That impossible is outside of the realm of potential for God. He can do whatever He wants in whatever time frame He chooses. And that's why He is the God of the universe. Shout aloud, amen, if you believe it. And the Bible says that God spoke amongst the Trinity to Himself. And He said those same three words. Say them with me. Shout, come, let us. Come, let us. Come, let us. Come, let us. As I read these three words many years ago, it dawned on me that perhaps in these three words, we find not just a phrase, but but an access to power. Maybe in these three words, we see a door that opens up potential for us. Maybe in these three words, we find the key that unlocks the door of possibility and potential in our hands. God said about these people, He said they are one people. They're speaking the same language. They've got busy doing this and I can't see anything that they can't do. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be the kind of church and I don't wanna be the kind of Christian that spends my life just kind of wandering around aimlessly, having a dream in my heart and nothing happening in reality. I wanna, I wanna do something significant with my life. I don't know about you, but I want our church to count. I want people to be reached. I want, I want individuals to know the love of Jesus. I'd like to change some stats in our country. I'd, I'd like to see children with a warm meal in their belly every morning and night. I'd like to see addiction broken. I'd like to see pee eradicated. I'd like to see marriages strong and people blessed. See our country healthy and, and, and whole and to know Jesus first and foremost. And my friends, as we're looking to see something that is out there, something big made possible, could it be that in these three words we find something that needs to come back, needs to come back to you and it needs to come back to me and it needs to come back to the church? Could it be that the difference between whether we can do something for God or cannot could be found in whether there is the presence of or the absence of a little spirit that's personified in these three words. Shout them with me tonight. Come, let us. Again, come, let, one more time. Come, let us. Turn with me this evening to the book of Jeremiah, Nehemiah in chapter two. And the Bible tells us that Nehemiah is a guy with a great dream in his heart. He wants to see Jerusalem, which is a picture for us in the Old Testament of what the church is in the New Testament. The center of life, for God's people, a place that the world looked at and could tell whether Jesus was on the move or not. And I don't know about you, but I don't want the church to be in ruins and I don't want Jerusalem, which is you know, a picture of what we're like, to be in decay or in demise. I believe God wants the church healthy and vibrant and strong. There are people out there, there are a few, and they like to say that the church was something for yesterday, but I don't see that evidence in this auditorium tonight or in the one I was in in Christchurch this morning or the photos I'm seeing from Whangarei to Dunedin of this morning. I believe that Jesus is still on the move and He's still building His church. 
And a generation of young people are finding life and wholeness in God. And if you're one of them, make some noise in this building this evening. Well, Nehemiah had a dream. He had a dream of Jerusalem strong, of the church vibrant. But the Bible tells us that at the time of Nehemiah's life, that Jerusalem lie in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Its walls have been trodden down. People were still living there, but they just accepted a city as being less than it could be. Nehemiah was bold enough to believe something different. And I don't know about you, maybe you feel like your neighborhood's in ruins or your family is in ruins or your life is in ruins or you might feel even like the church is in ruins. But my friend, what I love about Nehemiah is that he wasn't in the company of those known for describing problems. He was in the company of those known for embarking on finding solutions. I don't wanna be part of a group of Christians who've got a problem that they can identify. I wanna be part of a group of Christians who've got an answer they're busy without working. I don't wanna be known for what I'm against, I wanna be known for what I'm for. Not for the problems I expose, but for the solutions that we brought. Come on, if you wanna be a solutions person, give me a little yeah in this room. The Bible says about Nehemiah that he arrived at Jerusalem. He'd been, he'd been a long way away. When he got to Jerusalem, he gets up in the middle of the night on his third night that he's there. He goes around the city in the dead of night so that nobody can see him. The next day, everybody's wondering, what's this guy doing here? And in Nehemiah chapter two, verse 17, verse 17. Now you gotta know about Jerusalem that people said you can never rebuild it. They said it's, it's so damaged that it can never be restored. This is a city that will remain in ruins. And maybe somebody said that about your life, or maybe they've said that about somebody you know, or maybe you felt like this somehow lid over your future. Well, what I love about Nehemiah is that he wasn't limited by what other people said. Don't you ever let the word of a person get in the way of the word of the Lord. And I believe God never called anything worthless. He never said anybody is beyond redemption. He said, man, lost people are not lost causes. If you believe it, shout yeah. yeah. Nehemiah gathered the people together the very next day after he'd looked at the city through the dark of night. And in verse 17, he said these words, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Here it is again, team. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Well, the Bible records that in response to Nehemiah's challenge, a group of people arose, arise. How about we arise? Arise and build. How about we get busy doing what God's called us to do? They arose and they began to build the house of God together. They began to rebuild Jerusalem. People said, you can't do it. People said the stones are burned and they're worthless. But the Bible records that not only did Nehemiah start rebuilding it, and people said no one ever would, but he finished rebuilding it when no one said that was possible, but he also did it within a time frame that appeared miraculous. He did what no one else thought could be done in a time frame nobody believed it was possible. Does anybody believe God is still the God of the impossible? Still able to work wonders? And the Bible tells us that Nehemiah lifted those people out of disgrace, made Jerusalem strong again. And I believe God wants your life strong and our community strong. And He certainly wants the church strong. 
But could it be that in this passage, once again, we find the difference between accomplishment and non-accomplishment, between the impossible and the possible, between somebody who's able to do something and nothing happening at all? And could it be that what lifts something from being unable to well-able can be expressed in three simple words? Shout them with me tonight. Come, let us. Say it again. Come, let us. Come over to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. The Bible says that Saul and the army of Israel is in fear. Saul is hiding in his tent. He's petrified. The reason why is because outside across the valley is a large Philistine army. They've come to confront Israel in battle. Saul is afraid. He doesn't know what to do, so he's just hanging out in his tent. And by the way, every leader needs to know that when people are in trouble, the one thing you can't do is retreat into a corner. Just do something. If you'll do something, God can use it. If you'll do nothing, then God can't do anything at all. He needs a man with a voice. He needs a person with an action. He can move when we move. He's limited by our apathy. That's why the devil works through fear and God works through love because love will get you moving and fear will get you cowering. Saul is afraid. He's intimidated. He's in his tent. He's bowing. He's cowering. He's, he's petrified. He doesn't know what to do. He's praying, but he can't connect with God. God is nowhere to be found. And by the way, you have to get fear out of your life if you want the divine King of Kings to speak into your heart. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. But the Bible tells us that his son was a man by the name of Jonathan, and he was, could not be more different to his dad. One day, Jonathan gets up. He takes off, leaves the camp. They don't even know that he's gone. They're all just depressed and wallowing around. Jonathan reaches a point where up above him on the hill is the Philistine army and he's kind of hiding in the bushes. Then there is the valley floor and then there is the army at the top of the hill. So Jonathan said to his young armor bearer in 1 Samuel 14, 6, come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. AKA, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Come, let us go over, for nothing is too hard for the Lord. And his armor bearer answered and said, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. I am with you. Heart and soul. I love Jonathan. He had an audacious vision, a crazy dream. He said, man, you know what? There's no point hanging out there with those morning losers. There's no point hanging here in the bushes because God can't do anything. So he just said to his armor bearer, come, let us, two men, confront an army. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. He said, my God is bigger than this Philistine army. My God is bigger than this obstacle, bigger than this challenge, bigger than this setback, bigger than this health report, bigger than the peer pressure in my school, bigger than the booze climate in my university. My God is big. If you believe it, give Him some praise in this place. Come on, lift your voice and give Him some praise if you believe it. Man, I'm just, you're making me excited tonight. I'm sorry. I'm not a sorry at all. I don't know why I said that. Jonathan said, man, come, let us, say it, come. Say it again. Make a groove with it, come, 
Let us, I'm funky, come. Let us, break the beatbox, boom. Let us, uh, come. Let us. I don't know, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Whatever I can do. Nothing is impossible for the Lord. White men can dance with the Lord. It's just anything is possible. Jonathan, Jonathan said, can you say it with me? He said to his armor bearer, come, let us. Let's just go see what God will do. But I love the armor bearer because you know what? Jonathan gets a lot of kudos, but how about this young unnamed guy that's with Jonathan and Jonathan. It's one thing to be a crazy leader. It's another thing to have a guy who's just like, you know, yeah. And the armor bearer says to Jonathan, go ahead, do all that is in your heart to do. I am with you, heart and soul. I'm with you, Jonathan. It doesn't matter what comes our way. Jonathan said, come let us. The young armor bearer said, come on, let's go. And because there was a presence, not just of a Jonathan with a big dream, but an armor bearer with a reciprocal spirit. You can't have one person with a come let us spirit. You can only have a come let me spirit if you're by yourself. But the Bible tells us that because there was Jonathan and an armor bearer, because a guy with a name and a guy without a name, but because there was a presence of a come let us spirit, that two young guys climbed up that cliff, took on the army of the Philistine army, slay him to the left, slay him to the right, slay him to the left, slay him to the right, a rumble in the camp, out comes Saul, army presses forward, victory for God. Does anybody wanna be part of a great victory for Jesus in our generation? If you're with it, shout it out, come. Say it again, come, let us. I believe with all my heart that God's not finished working impossible miracles. God's not finished slaying some Philistines. God's not busy, not finished using some little young guys with a great passion in their heart for Jesus. I believe God's still working in wonders. I think what God's looking for from you and me is just that spirit that just says, come on, if our God is for us, then who can be against us? How about we don't just sing it like Chris Tomlin wrote it, but we live it like we believe it. If our God is for us, then who can be against us? Come on, if you believe it, give God some praise in this building this evening. Come, let us. Come, let us. Come, let us. See, the word come in, the, in, this, in this word, in this, this original Hebrew, the, the Bible wasn't originally written in English. It might surprise you to know that, but the Bible was originally written in, in two languages, Hebrew and Greek. The Old Testament was, in, was written in Hebrew, or as we like to say in New Zealand, the book of Hebrew. And <laughs> that one was free, it's called a dad joke. He loved it. That was like, a, like how you laugh at your father, wasn't it? Like, yeah, you're not funny at all, but you, you're my dad, and so I'm just being nice. In the, original, in the original, there's so much more to this word than just what the English translators are able to capture in one English word. The word come 
literally means in the original language, not just to kind of walk up to something or to, to move. It means, it means to give or to bring. It's not just saying that I turned up and I was there. It said I, I brought something with me and I gave something that I had. When he says, come let us, he's literally meaning, would you bring who you are and would you give what you have and together we could believe for God to do something great. He's saying this is a unity opportunity. And in the, in the Old Testament, they were literally saying, would you get off your individual program in the book of Genesis 11? Would you come? Would you give? Would you bring? Would we partner in this thing together? Would we cease to be individuals and would we embrace the corporate? Would we let go of an individual agenda? Would we chase after a bigger vision than any single one of us could ever lay ownership to? Would we build ourselves a city? Would we build our tower? Would we rebuild Jerusalem? Would we confront the armies of the Philistines? It means to give or to bring. It embraces the notion that you and I, to have a come let us spirit, have to say something about the individuality that we cling to in our modern culture, that we have to decide to bring the individual to the corporate. We have to go from being a solo musician to the power of the symphony. See, it's not just in the Old Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, He said, if any two or any three of you would agree about anything, it shall be done for you by my Father who is in heaven. If any two, it doesn't work alone. If you would two or three agree. The word agree is a Greek word that we translate from the original text. And the original text is not the word agree. It's a word symphonia in the Greek language from which we derive our English word symphony. The Bible is literally saying, if any two or three of you would decide that you're not gonna be master of your own song sheet. If any two or three of you would bring together your individual, because you know, up here tonight, we've got Luke Smith with the long hair and the big broad shoulders. He's got the physicality I wish I had when I was young. I was just a small little guy, you know, with no potential, but Luke's up here. And you know, he's like, the fear is driven away. I can't even do it, you know. But imagine if, if he's up here and he's like, well, you know, Dan, oh, what's your name? Nate Latoa. Nate Latoa's over here. And, and you don't know this, but Nate's got a microphone and everybody on the stage has got little in-ears. So he's here and he's got his little mic. Normally it's here. They're taking it away. And he can talk to everybody through their ears. And so he's like, we're gonna play this bit now. Fear is driven away. Imagine if, if Luke's over here and he's like, that's a boring song. <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna funky this thing up a bit. You know, I wanna, I wanna get this party started. So I'm gonna sing, I'm gonna sing, you are alive in us, nothing can take your place. So we got fear is, you are alive in us. That's not called a mashup, that's called a stuff up. You would be out there tonight not thinking, wow, God is here, this is amazing. We're stepping into the presence of God. You would be thinking quite the opposite. We have, we have, we have stepped into disorder, we have stepped into confusion. 
Did you know the Bible says that God is not the God of disorder or confusion? But because a group of musicians, and Luke Smith, one of the most talented drummers in our city, Nate Latoa is one of the best keyboard players, band leaders and creatives that I've ever met. Then we've got the amazing Taylor Welsh and, and you know, Natalie Tan, and we've got Joel Chisholm, my JC brother from another mother, and we've got Sione Latu and, you know, others up here that were singing tonight, and we've got a lead guitarist. I can't remember who was playing that, but anyway, he's a good guy, I'm sure. Could be a girl, who knows, I don't know. Was it Jacob? Sorry, Jacob, Vonnie, I, I didn't mean to forget your own son, you know. It's because his hair is always over his face while he's playing it, because... He's got, to, he's got to have the rock star flick. I only have the hair for Jesus. That's what. Love you, man. Because a bunch of very, very talented individuals decided that they weren't going to cling to personal agenda because they decided that they were gonna to come together and they were gonna play a song in unity with one purpose, with one mind. Then my friends, I don't know about you, but I felt like the presence of God was just falling in this room. We sing hallelujah, the Lamb is overcome. We sing hallelujah. I think I sang last Sunday night as well. It's, it's a new part of my repertoire. <laughs> See, my friend, have you ever stopped to consider that maybe that little piece of you that you cling on to is the very thing that could stop the impossible becoming possible? Maybe God is actually calling you and I to, to enter into His purpose in another level. Maybe what God discovered in life before Babel was that when people began to come together with the plan and the purpose of God alive in their hearts, that if they would have a come let us spirit, they could achieve something amazing for Jesus. I don't know about you, but I wanna be part of God doing something significant. Is anybody with me? How about we decide tonight that we are gonna come together, have a come let us kind of spirit, Come let us reach our city. Come let us bring healing love to thousands. Come let us reach universities and high schools and workplaces and families. Come let us see drug rates go down. Come let us see marriages strong and healthy. Come let us go further for our Jesus. Come let us start life groups from the top of the North Island to the bottom of the South Island. Come let us start campuses in every city and town in our nation. Come let us see a new generation of believers emerge in New Zealand who can take the church further in the 21st century than it's ever been before. Come on, if you believe it, shout it with me. Shout, come, let us, shout it again. Come, one more time. You grab a seat, the band can come up on stage. Let me give you three things that happen when people have a come let us spirit. Three things. Number one, in verse three, you might have read over it and not realized what happened, but in Genesis chapter 11, people started doing something they'd never done before. In Genesis chapter 11, for the first time in the history of the world, they said to each other, come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used to have to go down to a quarry take a stone, 
chisel it off, get it all together, then lift, even lift it a stone, it's heavy, carry it to where they were building, erect whatever they were trying to construct, one stone at a time. And then a people with a come let us spirit said we can do this so much faster if we could just bake the bricks in a furnace, if we constructed a way, we could move through, all we need is clay and stuff and we could make these bricks and then we can take the bricks down and what used to take years, we could do a whole lot quicker. When you gotta come let us spirit, the first thing that happens is innovation starts taking place. I don't want to be part of a church that's going to be bound by what it's always done or a group of believers who are trying to pull the church back into yesteryear. I believe God's got a new pattern and a new method and a new way of doing things. See, I am doing a new thing, says the Lord. Before it springs to pass, I reveal it to you. That's the first thing. Innovation starts taking place. The second thing happens in verse 4. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city. And the second thing that happens is increase. They'd never been able to go forward, never been able to see progress. But when they said, come let us, then suddenly they began to increase and they began to improve and expand like they'd never been able to do before. And if we wanna see the church expand, we need a come let us kind of spirit. You know, I love I loved Barnsley, John Barnes down here in the front row. John Barnes, you know, we're getting a room late last year and he's like, John, I'm gonna fill every balcony bay. If you'll let the young adults take over the, the, the balconies of the five o'clock service. And then John began to walk around. He walks up to some young leader. I don't even know their names. And he begins to say, well, come let us fill that balcony bay right there. Come let us fill that balcony bay right there. Come let us fill that balcony bay right there. And because a group of young men and women decided, I'm not just gonna stick to my timetable or my personal agenda, but I believe that people knowing Jesus is more important than me getting a pedicure or having time for a workout, because I believe that the cause of Jesus is important in my generation. Look at all these amazing, come on every young adult in this room, make some noise right now. Do you believe Jesus is on the move? Make some noise. Increase, increase, innovation, increase. And then God said, come, let us go down. Come, let us go down. And the third thing that happens is inclusion. You know, the one thing, the greatest curse I think the church can ever experience is a clicky group of Christians. Everybody needs deep personal relationships, but no Christian has the right to make their faith about me, myself and I. People have left our church during the 15 years of it going, some because they've moved overseas, some because of different circumstances. I'm cool with that. But the one thing I think the Lord does have a problem with, and I mean it, I say the Lord has a problem with, is a Christian who says the church is too big. I want a smaller church for me and my children. I personally just think that there is no place in the eternal cause of Jesus for Christians saying, let's keep the circle of faith small. What a sin towards heaven for Jesus to pay the ultimate price for Christians to then say, we want your eternal life, but we just don't want anybody from the community joining the circle. God is gonna give us a great spirit that can win a city, win a nation, see people included in the family. We're gonna do something great for Jesus. We're just getting started. Thanks for listening to this message from Pastor John Cameron. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church, check out arisechurch.com or find us on YouTube.